wonder, are you familiar with uh, the Roman Empire at all? Haven't thought about them lately, have you? Did you know they had uh, an incredible system of roads? And in fact, that's part of what uh, made them so strong in terms of uh, the ways that uh, military they had might and the ways that they expanded uh, culture, their own culture throughout the known world at that time. And as they expanded about 2,000 years ago, they became uh, in just a huge world power of that day. And their military built this huge infrastructure of roads. I've got some pictures of, of some of them for you today. Here's an example of one. Uh, they built actually uh, 250,000 miles worth of roads. About 50,000 of those were paved in stone and with stone, kind of cobblestone roads like the one you see here. Uh, they also built huge bridges like this one. This one is, uh, spans 150 feet uh, in northern Italy over uh, the River Lys. It's about, a, excuse me, 150 feet above the river, 100 feet long over the river. And then they also had these milestone markers, kind of these stone pillars that marked how far along the road you were and where you were at in the empire and their road system. Well, at the very center of all this, in the center of, uh, of Rome itself, uh, Caesar Augustus created a, a pillar called the Malarium Aureum. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, so don't flame me if I'm wrong. But that's the way I pronounce it. And it really, it means the golden milestone. And, and this is all that's left of it today. Uh, that's what it says underneath it. Um, and it's just the bottom of the base. Here's what it would have probably looked like, something like this. And you can see the little cutout of what's left. But this thing would have towered 15 to 20 feet tall, maybe taller, and it would have been covered in gold. And it was literally at the center of their road system. Maybe you've heard the phrase, all roads lead where? To Rome. Well, they all led specifically to this spot. You could get there from any of the network of roads. And even the, the, the milestones that they had out, we kind of use that phrase still today too, right? Like we're going we're gonna, to, we want to get to this milestone, set this, well, that comes from the Roman Empire. And this network of roads was incredible. You know, we, we take public infrastructure for granted today. Uh, but it led to the unprecedented expansion of Christianity. And it's, you can't overstate how this innovation, this technology of roads, influenced all of Western civilization. Transportation was standardized, and it drastically accelerated the pace at which people and trade and information could move. It facilitated rapid cultural blending. Uh, and it led, with an unintended consequence, it led uh, to the rapid spread of Christianity and of the gospel. In fact, Paul and other Christian missionaries at the time would have used these roads to go all throughout the known world. And Paul, because of these roads, he was able to, to pick up people of all different cultures, uh, different languages all throughout his journeys and bring them along to plant new churches and to, to send them out as missionaries themselves. Well, the gospel quickly expanded to the known reaches of the world because of this network of roads. It was, it was a huge piece of technology in that day. And you know, we have a very similar piece of technology today that's often compared to 
a road, the information superhighway. You ever hear that? The internet, I mean, this is another technological advance uh, instituted initially by the government uh, that, that has been used now uh, to change the world. The rapid increase of information, the, 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 the rapid blending of cultures. And it's been used for the rapid spread of the gospel all throughout the known world. I mean, there, there's rarely a place anymore that you can't uh, contact someone via, via a little device in your pocket or even uh, the one on my wrist. I can dispense information and have contact with just about anyone in any part of the known world. That's incredible. That was like science fiction not that long ago. And now it's reality. And it continues to increase and while this technology has been a really good thing, there's also a sense in which technology has led to some destructive things. Would you agree? Even the network of roads built by the Romans, there were a lot of good things that came from it, but the Romans also used their power uh, uh, to exert authority over those who had ever come up against their empire. In fact, those same roads that were used for peaceful travel at times were lined on both sides with crosses and enemies of the empire being hung on a cross and crucified at eye level in front of people so that people could walk by and literally spit on these people. And it was a warning to anyone who had traveled down that road. Uh, you probably don't, want to come against the empire. In fact, our savior was crucified in that way, right? It, it was used for great destruction and even persecution of Christians. The same technology that was used to spread the gospel was used to silence it at times. And it's no different today. The internet can be used in, in, in incredible ways and technology can be used in incredible ways to spread the gospel but it can also be used to great destruction. Now, the technology itself, is that wicked and evil? No. We, we can't make a false dichotomy and say that a technology in and of itself is bad. That, that's just simply not true. In fact, just by way of a little longer introduction this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a framework of how do we engage with culture? Uh, some of you have heard this before. How do we engage with culture? What, what filter do we run it through to decide uh, what we do with it? Because the technology of those roads, the technology of the internet, uh, they're good things. And, and so when you look at things that come our way in culture, as a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to those of you who are following Jesus, uh, there's three, uh, kind of three lenses with which you can view these things. First, you can simply receive it. You, you can receive something, meaning there's nothing inherently wrong about it. You can just simply receive it, take it, enjoy it, use it, no problem. You can just simply receive it. I mean, in many ways, technology is that way, right? You can simply receive it as it is. There's a second lens, though, to go through, and that is uh, you might choose to reject it. Maybe there's something inherently sinful, inherently evil about this thing that's completely unhelpful that as a follower of Jesus, I just simply have to reject. Pornography would be a great example of this, right? Uh, there is nothing redeeming about pornography, nothing good about it to simply receive. It degrades people, men and women, who are made in the image of God. It, it causes addiction. It, it's, it, it's, it's, we, we have to reject that completely, right? 
But sadly, things usually aren't quite this clear where I can just receive it or I can reject it. Usually there's a third category that most things fall into. Kind of this weird mix of things where we have to choose whether or not uh, we can redeem an aspect of it. Receive, reject, redeem. Those are the filters as a follower of Jesus we need to take things through as we engage culture. Because there's some things that, you know, like technology that aren't bad in and of themselves, um, but that could be used in a wicked way. And those wicked ways in which it's used, we have to reject. And so we redeem that for the use of the gospel. Social media itself is a great example of this, right? There's nothing necessarily evil in and of itself with social media, but there's a lot of social media we have to reject. And when we're on it, we need to redeem that time that we have on it for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Jesus, right? Do you see that lens? We're gonna talk a lot about this idea of redeeming technology and our use of it today. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, and uh, we're going to keep going. Sound good? Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Lord, thanks that the lights came back on. Uh, Thanks for the adaptability of so many to be able to uh, have plans and kind of move on the fly to switch things around. And uh, we pray they, they might stay on, at least for the rest of our time today. Holy Spirit, too, would you work in and through me as I teach? Teach me even as I teach your word. Jesus, that you might be made much of, that we would have wisdom in how we live our lives and uh, uh, that, Jesus, you would get great glory, we would, uh, others would get good, and we'd get joy. So guard and protect us and teach us now, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we jump in this morning, here's what I want you to, to know. God is calling you. He's calling you. Now, he's not just calling you, he's calling all of you. And let me kind of unpack that. He's calling all of you, plural, every individual in this room, he's calling you to trust him, to become a follower of him, to, to repent, which just simply means to turn, to change my way of thinking from being about me to being about Jesus and, and leaning on him to save and redeem and rescue me because I'm hopeless on my own. But he's also calling you, those of you who have made that choice, he's calling all of who you are every bit of who you are, your whole being, he's calling you to follow. We saw baptisms a little bit ago. And, and during those baptisms, uh, that, that crew, uh, both at this service and the first service, uh, they're, they're getting up and they're publicly saying, uh, Lord, I've trusted you, I've turned to you, now take all of me. Uh, as best I can, I want to follow you and walk with you in every area of life. I know I fail, but I know you're good and you're faithful. And they're committing themselves to that. And, and listen, friends, God wants all of you. Wants every one of you, but he wants all of who you are, your whole being. Everything to be aligned with his gospel mission and purpose. But this is a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, how many of you, you'd say, man, I desire that, but to be honest, Josh, that's a really hard step for me. And I struggle with it day in, day out. Well, friend, you're not alone because I think we all do. And in fact, people in Jesus' day did as well. Are you familiar with, uh, there was one such guy, a young leader. He was very influential. He was very wealthy. He had his youth. And he comes to Jesus with a question and he says, uh, this is Luke chapter 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to the man, he said, why do you call me good? 
Nobody's good except for God alone. In other words, you're calling me God? Jesus goes on, he says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, murder, excuse me. Don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And this guy, this young ruler, leader, he says, uh, I've done all of those since I was little. I've I've done all of them. Jesus says, well, there's one thing you still lack. He says, sell everything you have, distribute it to the poor, and then you'll have true treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And the next verse says, when this man heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. It was hard for him to give up everything to follow. To to give all of who he was, including his stuff, to the Lord to follow him. For us, maybe there's an area of your life where that thing is just, that's, that's so hard for me to give up and to yield to the Lord Jesus. But friend, he wants all of who you are. Your whole being, and specifically this morning, that includes uh, your life on the internet and online. I mean, does Jesus have all of you, including online you? He sends them on mission. My battery was on all morning trying to communicate with a pack that didn't have power. So that's why we lost that. But the first thing he does is he he calls you to himself and then he sends you out on mission every single time you see it in scripture. It happens with Paul. He gets called to Jesus and then what happens next? He's sent. The one exception you might find might be the thief on the cross. But even then, right after right after he trusts Jesus, what does he do? He starts witnessing to the guy on the other cross, on the other side of Jesus. So even he was called and sent. Friend, if if you're a follower of Jesus, that's who I'm speaking to right now, you are sent by him. And that's been kind of the, the, the start of this whole series. We talked about that, that you are sent by a king with a message to a foreign land. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador. And ambassadors have great responsibility. You're sent to love people in Jesus' name, to invite them to follow Jesus with you. An ambassador is always sent by the king for the purposes of the king. So that's why it's so important that that Jesus has all of you because in every arena of your life, you're an ambassador and you're representing Jesus Christ. I wonder, how's that looking for you online? on the internet. See, God's calling you and then sending you to do what Jesus commands because he's the king. As an ambassador, you're, you're sent to do what Jesus commands. That, that's what it means to follow him. It means to obey him, to do what he said. Second uh, Corinthians 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. I wonder, as an ambassador, as somebody who's sent, I'll just ask it again. Are you doing that with your whole self in every arena of life? You're his representative. How's that going for you? Are you obeying the king, the one who sent you out? Because as an ambassador, you can either make peace or you can start wars. 
A good ambassador helps make peace and maintain peace. A bad ambassador can start a war in a hurry. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, especially as, as you're sent by him, friends. Um, are you obeying him with your use of technology? Are you redeeming it or simply receiving all of it? Are you rejecting what you need to? How's, how about your speech on social media? Do you, do you need to get yourself a WWJT bracelet? What would Jesus tweet? Maybe that's what you need to be thinking before you post something this afternoon. Is this something that would come out of the mouth of Jesus? Would this come uh, through his cell phone? If it's not, then why are you saying that? You wouldn't say it with your mouth. Why would you post it on the internet? There might be a market in this. Maybe we can make some money. WWJT. But think about that. It's true. You're his ambassador. This means every area of life you're sent to represent him. And whether you realize it or not, you are representing him. And so what you say, how you behave, it matters. And what you post online, it's, it's instant. Everybody can see it in a moment. It's, it's constant. It's just there whenever somebody logs on. Your communication is constant. It's global. Around the globe, people can see what you're saying as an ambassador of Jesus. And it's permanent. Even if you delete it, uh, more often than not, it can still be found. Are you being an ambassador for Jesus on the internet? See, friends, he's calling you to do what Jesus commands on life as it is IRL. You up on your texting lingo? That means in real life. Jesus says we should pray for a thing, his will to happen on earth as it is in heaven. I'm telling you, you should represent him online as it is in real life. Because online is real life, friends. It is real life today. There isn't this dichotomy between myself in real life and myself online. There can't be. When people see you online, oftentimes that's the first impression they get of you. Now, for those of you, if you're not on the internet, you're not on social media, good for you. You have a much simpler life than many of us. But understand these principles, they apply to, to public life as a whole, right? Uh, these principles apply to every arena of our lives as his ambassador. And are you walking as somebody who's worthy of the gospel of Jesus by the power of his spirit? You know, Paul tells the church in in Colossae, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1.10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, and to the church in Philippi, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is, is your life, especially that life online, worthy of the gospel? See, we're in this series called Life in the Age of Outrage. And uh, I don't know about you, but I notice the, the, it seems like the primary place of fuel for outrage tends to be on the little rectangle in my pocket. I mean, that, that's where it is. It's online. And so as followers of Jesus, if we're not representing him well right there, we're not doing much to bring peace and good news into this age of outrage that we're all living in. And our absence in some ways, or, or even worse, uh, the ways we contribute might actually be pouring fuel on the fire if we're not submitting those things to Jesus. 
I mean, that's the question. Are you bringing glory to Jesus online with what you post and what you say and what you like, what you retweet? Or are you pouring fuel on the fire for someone else's outrage? I mentioned Governor Holcomb earlier, right? He had a press conference this week. It was live streamed on Facebook. And if you want an exercise in just seeing the example of the online mob, go pull up that video. Uh, as of uh, this morning, there were 6.5 thousand comments. And I would say about 6.49 thousand of those were, were people arguing with one another or trying to make a point about something. I didn't see any of your comments if you made them, so that's good. I'm proud of you. Way to go. But, but friends, what does that say? I mean, you, you're representing Jesus there. So if you're saying, well whatever about a mask or whatever about this or that. I mean, how's that coming across? Is that something Jesus would have posted? You're his ambassador online just as much as you are when you're walking down the street. Don't mistake that. Have you ever read the book Frankenstein? You know Frankenstein, right? Big monster, kind of created in a lab, has the things coming out of his neck. I had to read this book as part of my British lit class when I was a student in college. Some of you maybe had to read it in high school, I don't know. Uh, but I didn't know anything about Frankenstein until I read this book by Mary Shelley. And in this book, uh, Frankenstein, he's intelligent, he's an articulate creature, but one of the things about him, he's never accepted. And he lives this tormented life. In the closing scene of a kind of a famous film adaptation of it, the story concludes in a small town where Frankenstein lived. And after the monster murders a professor and a young girl, he had just been ostracized his whole life, the, the community comes after him with, with pitchforks, with torches. They chase him into uh, this mill where then they set it on fire and he's killed. And sadly, that seems to be the thing that so many people do online today. Like the mob isn't physical, but it's still vicious when it's virtual. And Christians can be as much a part of that mob as anyone, sadly. I mean, hey, who doesn't love a good mob? You get excited, you follow, you get riled up, right? But man, it's so destructive to people. And it's so destructive to the influence of the gospel in people's lives, Friends, as followers of Jesus, we're not to be people who grab the pitchfork, but who grab the towel to serve and to love people, especially the people we disagree with. How's that going for you as his ambassador, especially online? Do you know eternity really is in the balance? You're like, Josh, come on, that's kind of a, that's kind of a big statement. It is a big statement, and it's a true one. Because the reality is what you say and do online as in real life can have an incredible influence on someone else's eternity. The comments you make, the, the, you're either confirming the truth and relevance of the gospel and the peace that Jesus offers, or you're confirming the skepticism of a group that looks at Christians and says, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites and who, who can believe or accept that? You're either making peace or you're starting a war. Bringing Jesus glory or pouring fuel on the fire, which is it? You know, as we uh, continue this morning, I want to leave you with uh, 
a handful of principles for what's it look like to follow Jesus when you're online. And uh, I've mentioned multiple times this series was kind of inspired by a book by a guy named Ed Stetzer called Christians in the Age of Outrage. He lays out a handful of principles, some of those I'm kind of taking from, others I'm adding to or altering a bit, but encourage you to read that just for more on this topic. But, but let's talk about this a minute because technology, we can receive parts of it. We have to reject parts of it. So how do we live in a way that's redeeming of it, especially in terms of social media? online. Sound good? Here's the first thing you need to remember. Everyone is watching. Everyone is watching. Again, your communication online is instant. It's instant. You can't pull it back. It's constant. Someone can log in days later and they can still see it as brand new. So that communication where you lash out or you make that little quip that feels really good, that sarcastic comment, that sarcasm rings for days and weeks and sometimes months in the ears of other people. It's constant. It's global around the world. People can read what you write and it's permanent. Even if you delete it, it can come right back to haunt you. And you're like, yeah, but Josh, all my posts are private. Yeah, but then everybody in your feed who you're friends with is watching. And who knows what they might share or take a screenshot of and share later. It endures, friends. It's permanent. And everyone is watching. And you know, when you think about this principle, it's good to remember because it may actually explain a few things for you, right? I mean, for instance, it might explain why uh, your neighbors don't want to come grab coffee because of all your constant political rants online. They don't want to come hear that. It, it might explain uh, why, you know, your, your passive aggressive uh, comments online might, uh, about things going on at work might keep that person at work that you're inviting to come to church from actually showing up. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, I wonder what she's going to tweet about me this week or he's going to say about me next time. It, it might also be uh, why people just keep their distance because everything that seems to come out on, online just seems to be just over the top. It could explain a lot of things. Remember, everyone's watching. WWJT. Pull out your bracelet. Put it on your keyboard. Put it across the top of your phone. Would Jesus type that and send it out for the world to view? You're his ambassador. You're speaking for him to a watching world. Is that what he would say? This is why Paul tells the church in Colossae, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. Always gracious. Seasoned with salt so that you might know how to answer every person. And again, this doesn't just apply online, right? This applies to everyday life with your coworkers, with your family. Next week at Thanksgiving, when politics comes up. (laughs) Can't wait. How about you? Hey, friends, everyone's watching. How will you respond? Here's a second principle for you. Be selective and guard your feed. The writer of Proverbs tells us to keep our hearts with all vigilance because from our hearts flow the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Well, also I would say guard your feed. What are you allowing into your mind 
on social media? Who are you following? Who are you listening to? Uh, Stetzer in, in his book uh, frames it in terms of uh, investment versus consumption. And I think it's kind of helpful. Let me explain. When you're engaging online, whether it's on social media or reading blogs or following news, uh, is this an investment into your life or are you simply consuming as one who's being kind of entertained and feeding your boredom? See, investment says whoever I'm interacting with online, is this, uh, is this a friend? Is this a family member? Somebody especially, maybe long distance, I don't see that often, and I can stay in contact with? Well, then you're investing in those relationships, right? Is, uh, uh, are you following leaders online or people online who are uh, teaching God's word, who are in, in encouraging you to live a life in light of the gospel, in light of a gospel worldview, well, then you're investing in yourself to be challenged to, to follow Jesus in every arena of your life, right? That's good. That's an investment. Are you following people who think totally opposite of you, but whom you might respect? Well, then you're investing in your mind and in your thinking and learning to see things from a different perspective, maybe than everyone else in your life. And it helps you to learn to love people and to engage with the watching world. And, and honestly, a lot of times it ends up strengthening your own convictions. That's a good thing. That's an investment. But if I'm just following, uh, if I just mindlessly let all kinds of, uh, of people into my feed and I'm just, I'm, I'm consuming all of this stuff, that's not helpful. Guard your feed. Be selective. Go for investment, not just consumption. Grow yourself closer to Jesus and closer to others not away from them. Maybe you need to employ, I learned this week about a 30-day snooze feature on Facebook I wasn't aware of. Maybe you just need to snooze some people through the holidays. Ignore them for a while. In invest. Peter says, you therefore, loved ones, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. To him be the glory, right? So remember, everybody's watching to be selective, guard your feed. What are you putting into your mind and engaging your heart with? Uh, third one, resist the urge to fight every battle. And that second one of guarding your feed will help you with this one. Because friends, there are so many battles to fight online. From politics to the pandemic to what color that dress is. Is it blue or is it gold? You know what I'm talking about from a few years ago? There, there, I mean, there's, there's so many things you can battle and fight about. You need to resist the urge to fight every battle. You don't have to chime in on every single one. You don't need to consume your time with every battle. In fact, there might be some that you're better off just being quiet about and just ignoring and moving on. The writer of Proverbs, again, he says, answer not a fool according to his folly so that you're not like him yourself. And then the very next verse, he says, answer a fool according to his folly so that he's not wise in his own eyes. A lot of times we, we do this one and not this one on social media. And, and we're quick to, to engage and to fight the battle when maybe we ought to be quiet. Now there are times to engage, right? Hear me, there are. But be wise about it. And be gracious when you do. I mean, if, if, if you just all of a sudden get snapped and triggered by your great, great, great aunt's uh, son-in-law's cousin 
for whatever posts they make on social media, on Facebook about the thing that you're passionate about, maybe it's time to use that snooze button, not follow. It's certainly not time to engage. (laughs) You don't have to fight every battle. It's okay. Because all things are lawful, Paul tells the church in Corinth, but not all things are helpful. Just because you have the freedom doesn't mean you have to. Let me just encourage you. You don't need to engage and fight every battle. Sometimes you do, but do so in a way that's under control, with self-control, that's gracious and loving. Do everything in love, scripture tells us. And towards that end, number four, make grace your default mode. Make grace be your default. It's so much, oh man, it's so much easier. Sometimes you see something that gets you lit up and fired up about something. It is so much easier to think through, hmm, you know, you type out a phrase and oh, I'm gonna back that up and I'm gonna type this a little different. No, oh no, oh, that's the perfect sarcastic witty comment right there. I got it. Send, right? But is that grace? Grace gives to people what they don't deserve. It loves them. It has gracious assumptions about where they're coming from. In fact, you and I have been shown much grace for from Jesus' fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Those of you who've trusted Jesus with your life. Are you showing that same grace to other people? Make that your default online. Again, you're his ambassador, the one who shows grace. You're supposed to do the same. What would Jesus tweet? That might be the line of the day. Make grace your default. And when you do engage and you need to confront something, Colossians tells us, let your speech always be gracious. In the Greek, that means always be gracious. All the time. No matter what the circumstance is. Man, that's so hard though. In your hearts, Peter tells us, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it, he says, with gentleness and respect. It's curious, he doesn't say, uh, get out and start making a defense and thumping people over the head with your Bible. Be a Bible thumper. Just make a point. No, he says, uh, be ready and do it with gentleness, with graciousness. Make grace your default. Let's pray for each other toward that end, amen? Have gracious assumptions. And then this, this fifth one, all these kind of tie together is I would encourage you uh, for all of us to see people, not avatars. Do you know what an avatar is? Avatar is not the blue, uh, weird blue guys on the movie. I'm talking about like the little picture next to somebody on social media or on a blog post or whatever else. That's their avatar. You know, some people have a picture of themselves. Some people have a picture of their kids. Some people have a picture of a fuzzy bunny and a meme that they think is funny, whatever it is. But it's so often, it's so easy to see this little picture and I'm going against, you need to remember, behind that avatar, whatever it is, is a person who bears the image of God. It's an image bearer who longs to be loved like you and I are loved in Jesus. And when I remember that, that I'm not just speaking to a a faceless person, but to a real person, would I say that in real life? Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus write this and post it? See people, not avatars. See people, not just a text message or an email. 
See, the Lord's servant, Paul tells Timothy, the young pastor, he says, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? So that God might lead them to repentance. See, here's the sum of the matter. If you, if you take nothing else with you this morning, maybe you take this, whether it's online or in real life. Uh, win people, not arguments. Win people, not arguments. Now, you may need to confront things. You may need to engage. That's fine. But your primary role is you're sent to love people. You're not sent to make a point. You're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus and to receive his grace just like you and I have received it. So friends, uh, one of the things we can do as followers of Jesus that we, we need to do in this age of outrage is we need to be people who are consistent ambassadors of our gracious, loving, perfect king. That when we speak, we speak for him and like him. And when our sinful nature gets in the way and we say something stupid, we delete it and we're quick to apologize. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus, let me encourage you. We are all incredibly messed up and uh, we are hopeless apart from the grace that Jesus gives us. And if, if you too would turn to him in faith and trust him, he would save you. He would make you new. He would then send you out as his ambassador and he would work in your life over time to change you and to renew you and to give you hope and a future. And man, I would commend him to you. There's not a better decision you could ever make with your life than to trust Jesus. Let me pray.